Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Thank you. Had to say it from up here. Uh, my name is Nick, and I'm one of the pastors here at Dwell Church. I'm a pastor here at Dwell Church, and uh, we're so glad that you're joining us today. I know we do have a few visitors, a few first-time guests, so we really appreciate and are thankful that you chose, out of all the places, so many churches in L.A., to come and join us here. And uh, there's a lot of exciting things happening in the life of our church, if you didn't get Doc's hinting. Uh, before we get to that one, he's not here right now, but I do want to give a, shout, a couple of shout-outs. One to Paul Santos, who is visiting with family in, in uh, Nevada right now. But he is one of our worship leaders, and he was just recently elected to UCLA's Graduate Student Association Vice President of External Affairs. So when you see him, make sure to congratulate him. If you're watching, Paul, congratulations. We're very proud of you and are, are looking forward to seeing what, what happens with that. Uh, and then the next one, if you didn't pick it up, <laughs> Jackie and Topher just got engaged yesterday. Jackie is our worship leader, singing beautiful songs up here. Very excited for you guys to make beautiful blue-eyed babies one day. Won't rush it. They both have blue eyes. That's the context. <laughs> I'll give you a minute. Just one, though. <laughs> um, but we're really excited for you guys. It's been fun to be a part of that and uh, watch that unfold. And we're excited for your future, too. So if you're new here visiting us, we, we really believe that uh, church is more than just a group of people who get together once a week and aren't involved in each other's lives. That's why I like sharing stuff like that of what's going on in the lives of our church. We believe that church is meant to be family, and that's why we celebrate those things that God's doing in each other. So if you're here, I knew that was loose. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to grab Thanks, John. I appreciate that. That's, that's Jackie, so I don't need those, but <laughs> yeah, but I'll put them right here. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so, as I was saying, <laughs> we, we really want you guys to feel at home here. This is your home. You have family here. You belong here, even if you don't believe yet. Um, that's what we believe in, and that's what we stand for, so we're excited that you're here and joining us. So this morning, I have a message that I'll be sharing with you that I hope will help you to know Jesus more than you did when you first walked in and will inspire some hope in your life. For the, those of you who haven't been here the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been go currently going through a series called Kingdom Come. It's a teaching series where we've been taking a closer look at what it means to not only witness God's rule and reign, over all of creation, to actually, but to actually participate in that. The kingdom of God, at its simplest definition, is the rule and reign of God. It's where God's authority is established, and where God's authority is established, all things flourish. Or to put it another way, life is lived with purpose, significance, and hope when God reigns and rules in our lives, because that means that we're given the freedom to change and shape our lives into who he's created us to be. When we submit to him, when we seek to obey him, when we seek to give him his way in our lives. So if that sounds all a little bit confusing and nuanced to you, it's okay, because it can be. So don't sweat it. We're going to take some time together to, to break that down a little more as I get into my message today. 
as I said, we've dedicated this month to talking about the kingdom of God because it's this time of month that everyone in the world who at least shares our faith is looking to the life, to the ministry, to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So the kingdom of God was the focus of Jesus' teachings in the midst of all that. The word kingdom is mentioned 126 times in the gospel by Jesus. When Jesus tells his disciples how to pray, he opens up his short prayer, the Lord's Prayer as we now know it, by saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. With that prayer and Jesus' other teachings, it becomes clear that to be in the kingdom of God means that we have willingly submitted everything to the will of God with his ultimate will being to bring back, bring us back to his original intent and design for all of creation. And author Reggie McNeil, he would add to that and put it this way. Dan shared this with us last week. The kingdom narrative is the grand and heroic story of what God has done and will do to bring about the fulfillment of his plan and purpose for the universe. It's big, it's grand, and it starts with the ministry and teachings of Jesus. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he reveals to us and to, to his audience at that time the character of the kingdom of God by listing off laws that are familiar to them. He says, you have heard it said, and I say. And he cuts deeper into a new level of their hearts he doesn't, he doesn't just look at the exterior. He, he goes from the exterior deep into their hearts, and he looks at not just being a murderer, but what about being angry? He looks at not just committing adultery, but what about having lust in your heart? Or there's the famous turn the other cheek or love your enemies. He describes what seemed like to many at that time an upside-down kingdom from that which they were familiar with. What he was ultimately getting at is that our own strength and power, in and of that, when we try to just do it in our own strength and power, it's impossible to live up to the standards of righteousness that were set at the time. I think of it kind of like a razor. So when I shave, I like a nice sharp razor. I once tried Dollar Shave Club. It didn't work out great. The razors were terrible. It was, it was awful, you know. You get cuts constantly on my neck, and, and I end up just trying it on my, you know, going for the cheaper one because it's easier, and it comes right to my door, and I end up with a face and neck all cut up when I should have stuck with Gillette, the best a man can get. <laughs> and so I had a nice shave this morning with my vibrating Gillette razor, the best a man can get. That's kind of outdated now, you know. Like, what's with that gendering, you know, products like that. Girls can use, women can use Gillette on their legs and armpits. It's all right. I'll allow it. <laughs> um, so I kind of think of grace like that. You know, we, we tried in our own might and strength. We can't live up to that standard of righteousness. We cannot. So Jesus, he, he shows us that. He's like, yeah, you have trouble meeting these external ones, but I'm going to take it even deeper to really show you, you can't live up to this. So what I want to leave you with today is that Jesus' death and resurrection happened so that the character and the power of his kingdom could dwell in us. To drive this home in our hearts, we're going to talk about the burying of a king, 
we're going to look at the story of a Pharisee named Nicodemus who doesn't just, he just does not get it. And we're going to talk about real estate a little bit. So before we get into that, would you uh, join me in praying? God, we thank you for this Sunday, this special Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate your life, as we celebrate what you've done for us. I pray that this morning as I share this message, that my words would be yours, God, a message to the hearts and minds of each person here, that something that I say in these next few minutes would really resonate. God, by your spirit, you would speak to people and you would open eyes of our hearts and minds to see you a little more clearly and that we would know your love this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Jesus, he performs miracles to reveal that he came to the earth with the authority of God the Father. They revealed his kingly power to bring about the restoration and to redeem all that was broken. But even in witnessing the miraculous, many Jews had a hard time accepting who Jesus truly was. Last week, Dan Christman, who's over with the kids right now, he preached a great message on the unexpected kingdom. And he shared with us his own uh, expectations versus reality meme of him when he came to L.A. with his long hair and then him now all defeated after he had some spicy ramen. Um, so I thought I'd share my own. I don't have a picture, though. But Sarah showed me this viral video of this, like, one-and-a-half-year-old playing basketball on one of those <coughs> Fisher-Price hoops. And I was like, that's it. That's what Asher's getting for his birthday. One years old. He's 99th percentile height. He's going to be an all-star. I need him to be in the NBA and buy us a house in L.A. because we can't do it. We'll get to that in the, in, in, later in the sermon. Um, so I get it, and I'm all excited. I told my mom to buy it. I was like, no toys, but this one you can get because we had too many toys, but this one I will accept. Um, we get it. He, like, eventually picks up the ball and just goes, like, just drops it. Meanwhile, the kids in the video are like, three points. <laughs> and I just, I slowly have been working on it. He can now walk up to the hoop and just put it right in. I'm working on it. So eventually we'll get there. But that's my expectation versus reality with Asher in my fatherhood life so far. Um, but for the Jews at the time, they were looking for this king who was sent from God to be free from their oppressors. They wanted to be freed from the Roman rule that was continuously oppressing them and putting them down. So many praised Jesus as their savior, um, but when Jesus faces death on the cross, the followers that he have left, that he has left at that time, are left hurt and confused. It's Friday. The king of the Jews has just been crucified. His lifeless body hangs there on a tree along with his followers' hopes and dreams of no longer being under the oppression of the Romans. But in the midst of the hurt and confusion, two men honor Jesus as king. We pick up the story, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'll have it on the screen as well in John chapter 19, in verse 38. And it says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, 
he came and took the body away. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this next verse. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Mark that in your Bibles. Write that down in your notes if you're taking notes, because we're going to come back to that. And then it continues on. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and the strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which we, no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So it was Jewish custom to wrap the bodies of the dead in linen cloths and to put sweet spices between the folds of the linen. But this was, this was a normal thing to do, but it was not a normal thing to do for a criminal hung on a cross. Not for a, a, a lunatic, not for a liar, not for a rebel rouser. All the things that Joseph and Nicodemus' people may have saw Jesus as. In fact, Jews hung on a cross that were hung on a cross weren't even allowed to be buried with their families. Yet in the midst of this, while Mary is mourning the death of her son and Peter and the rest of the disciples are out laying low for fear of their lives and confused, Joseph and Nicodemus have the boldness and the courage to request Jesus' body. So I have a picture of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, just so you get a visual. That's believed to be it. And you can see from that, that's a far cry from what probably would have been just a hole in the ground that they would have given anyone who was hung on a, on a cross. It's much nicer. It's an actual tomb. It's got a stone that was rolled away when he was risen from the dead. So that's just one picture there. Um, that's what's believed to be. There's no confirmation for sure. But what's even more significant uh, than, so, so jo, jo, uh, Nicodemus, he brings the spices for the burial of a king. And he sees to it that Jesus is honored as a king. He brings the myrrh, 75 pounds of it. This is a lavish, extravagant offering that he gives to bury Jesus as a king. So what's even more significant is that these two men are members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish body that examined him and formulated the charges against him. Before his death, any commitment or faith they expressed to the way of Jesus was in secret. In fact, in John 12, there's this passage there that speaks of this kind of following of Jesus. It says, Nevertheless, Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put to, out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. But here in this passage in, in John chapter 19, we find them openly asking for the body of Jesus and giving a very visible tribute and honor to Jesus. The cowardice the hesitation, the concealment, the pride, and the love of gl for glory from man were all gone. But what led Nicodemus to this point? To seeing Jesus as a king, to truly seeing the kingdom of God, 
to having his heart transformed and his character shaped by the character of the kingdom of God so that he could be a part of setting the stage for Jesus' greatest miracle, his resurrection. So to discover that, we have to go back to that verse I had you take note of. Verse 39. It says, He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. It's here that we find the story behind the story. While Jesus' identity is now clear to Nicodemus, that wasn't always the case. We see it in John chapter 3. It's a popular chapter. A lot of people know it because of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have... Like, you've heard it so much that you say it that way now. There's power to it, but for some reason we heard it so much that we say it that way. Because it's so quoted. It's probably one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible, or at least close to it. But just as the significant, but just as significant is the context and the discussion leading up to this. It's a discussion that takes place between Jesus and this man called Nicodemus. I have a picture here, and I mainly chose this picture. You'll see why. Because I feel like Nicodemus looks a little bit like Gandalf there. And, and I think a lot of time when we look at Pharisees, it's like we've heard so much preached on Pharisees being these hypocrites in whitewashed tombs, which is all true. But I want us to be able to identify a little better with Nicodemus here in this story. So, I mean, who doesn't love Gandalf? So that's why I chose that picture. Anyways, Nicodemus tries to tell himself that he waited until the dark because the streets have been crowded, but the truth is he was afraid of being seen with the one he's now going to see. Because Nicodemus is a well-known man in Jerusalem, he's a member of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jewish people. And many of his colleagues are set against Jesus because they fear that he's trying to start some kind of rebellion. And they fear and worry that even the slightest uproar might bring the fury of Rome down on them. But Nicodemus, he isn't sure. He spent his whole life drawing these boundaries around everything in order to make his life make sense. Creating rules or or trying to follow these rules so that he can control to an extent his path in life and know that he's following after God and, and that he's keeping his, maintaining his reputation. And he's doing everything he can to try and make sense of this. And, and he doesn't know what to make, make of Jesus as he sets off uh, to ask him. And he says, Jesus, who are you? He finds him on a rooftop overlooking the city. And Nicodemus realizes that he doesn't know what to call him. So many people have been calling him a lunatic, a heretic, a traitor. And Nicodemus, in verse 2, he settles on, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus, he's one of the wisest men in all of Jerusalem. He's a teacher to the others. He hasn't been made to feel like he has anything more to learn. 
in a very, very long time. But Jesus, he stops him right in his tracks. He stops him short to school him a little bit and reveal to him how the kingdom of God, what it's like, and how to enter into it. And he says this, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus, he still argues, and he says, I don't mean that in a bad way when I say that he still argues. He's trying to, to get it. He's trying to make sense of it. He questions Jesus, and essentially he says, listen, I've been in my mother's womb. There's a reason I don't remember it. I'm not going to just magically shrink down and appear back in my mother's womb to be born again. He misunderstands Jesus probably because he doesn't want to change deep down in his heart. Jesus elaborates for him. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless God, of God unless they are born of water and spirit. He gives them two symbols here, water and spirit. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Water is a symbol of cleansing. When Jesus reigns in our lives, when we love him with all of our heart and seek him, and seek his will, the sins of the past are forgiven and forgotten. The Spirit is a symbol of power. When Jesus reigns in our lives, we enter into a life of power that enables us to be what we are by ourselves could never be, and to do what we by ourselves could never do. Our pasts are wiped out, and victory is given to our future. The reality is that we are all sinful. Some of us might even identify with this man, Nicodemus. Maybe you're going through life wishing to be changed, but not knowing how to give up those things that you're clinging on to, those things that you're trying to control, that own effort that you feel like you can get you somewhere. Maybe you're scared or have fear of the things that you would have to face in the pursuit of that wounds and emotional scars that you might have that people have left with you, pride and comfort of relying on yourself like Nicodemus had. Maybe like Nicodemus, you've deliberately shut your eyes and your mind and your heart. When it comes down to it, we're all human. And being human, our power is limited to what the flesh can do. Have you ever felt defeated in your life, ever? frustrated with where you're at. Maybe it was a job where you felt defeated. You didn't get the job. Maybe it was a part you didn't get. Maybe it was a relationship that didn't work out. If you felt defeated, that's okay. That means you're human. I've been there. It's a good sign. It means you're human. It is the universal fact of the human experience. And I have good news for you today that you can be born of the Spirit. The very essence of the Spirit is power and life, which are beyond human power and human life. And when the Spirit reveals the truth of God's power to us, and we give God the freedom to reign in our heart, the defeated life of human nature becomes the victorious life of God. The same victorious life that after dying the most brutal death was given a burial of a king, was laid in a tomb, defeated sin, 
And three days later, death itself as he was raised to life. This was all a part of God's plan to bring about the kingdom and make a way for us to enter it. But in our strength, we can't be completely obedient to God. It is only when we uh, seek God's grace, it is only when God's grace enters into us and that we take possession of that grace for our lives that we can change, that we can give him the reverence, the devotion that we ought to give him. Like I said, we can't do it in our own might. Grace is freely given to us and we simply respond in faith. The Spirit awakens in us, births in us something that says there is a God and in him you have that freedom. In him you have that ability to walk in the things that he wants you to walk in, to live as he created and intended you to be. So Jesus, it is through him that we are reborn. It is when he enters into possession of our hearts and our lives that change truly comes. As that change comes, we are empowered to walk in the loving and righteous character of the kingdom of God. And in doing so, we participate in the work that Jesus started of bringing heaven here to earth. That's why he says in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because Jesus' death and resurrection happened so that the character and the power of his kingdom could dwell in us. Even more so than this, it can dwell in us now. It's not just future, it's here now. I love Dan's prayer. It's, it's for us now, that life As Jesus prepared his disciples for his death and resurrection that was to come, he tells them in several instances that it is good for him to go so that the Holy Spirit can come to them. They're able to carry on the kingdom of God and to bring about the redeeming power of God's rule and reign because they had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The death and resurrection of Jesus, it shows us that the kingdom of God isn't just a temporary one. Jesus didn't come to bring freedom from an earthly enemy like they expected. He came to defeat Satan himself. He rose again to put to death sin's power once and for all. He ushered in the kingdom by dying on the cross in our place so that we could be in relationship with God, so that sin could no longer separate us from God. In 1 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, it says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The present possession of the Holy Spirit is our down payment. It's more than just a promise. It's more than just a guarantee. Has anyone here gone house hunting before? couple. Exactly. You're like, um, we live in LA. <laughs> uh, you rent until either you die or can't afford it anymore, and then you move to like Arizona. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Erica and Sean used to live in Arizona. They came here. They're doing great. <laughs> um, random state I picked. <laughs> so, trust me, I know the struggle. I've done the math. For Sarah and I, we're like 14 years out from being able to afford a down payment. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> Student loans, you know, 
all that. Um, unless God does a miracle, you know, we're, we're very open to that and we believe in that. <laughs> Asher becoming an NBA player when he's like 12. We'll see. But just imagine with me for a second that you're house hunting and you stumble upon the dream home. It's a four bed, four and a half bath. Modern farmhouse north of Montana. Which goes for about $6 million. <laughs> it's perfect. You decide, okay, I want it. So you promise the owner on an appointed day you'll deliver the money. And you sign a bill of sale. It's perfect. You're living the dream and owning the house. Except there's one problem. You don't own the house. Because your word alone doesn't give you ownership. Or maybe you decide, I'll just bring along all my church friends and They'll be my character witnesses so that they can testify that I'm an honest, honorable person. And I am someone with a great bank account. I'll even remind them that you don't have to worry or deal with those squatters that have been drinking wine in your bathtub because it's vacant. That's a true story. Ask me about it later. <laughs> um, surely the house is mine. But that's not how you lay claim on it either. The only thing that will get you accepted, an accepted offer and bind that agreement is money, a substantial down payment. A down payment gets you present and partial possession of the house. In the same way, the present and partial possession of the Holy Spirit is a down payment. It is the present but partial possession which guarantees the full possession when God renews all things. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we know from Scripture and we look forward to a time that will come when God, as he restores all things, when he creates a new heaven and a new earth. That's what the Bible teaches. That God had a specific plan he intended when he created all things. And man, we sinned and we fell short of God's glory and, and as a result, sin and destruction entered into this world. I don't know if you've heard today, but there was a bombing in Sri Lanka of 200 people passed away. So we know that this world, it's not fully redeemed. There's still pain. There's still hurt. There's still anguish. And in Romans 8, Paul talks about how we groan for the day, long for the day when God will do that, when God will restore all things. And until then, the Holy Spirit is our, the first fruits that refreshing first fruit when the harvest comes, that we know that it, we have it in part, but there is to come a full and flourishing kingdom of God when God restores and renews all things. We don't know when the time will come. Jesus said, you don't know the hour. <laughs> don't try and guess it. Just live your life loving God and following him and trusting in the Holy Spirit that God empowers you to be free from sin to live the life that he intended for you to live here and now. It's present, but it's partial possession that guarantees the full possession when God renews all things. This life, this is the life of the Spirit. It's eternal life. The fullness of life awaits in the coming of Christ, but until then, God renews all creation. Until that moment when God renews all creation, he has given us the Spirit as a down payment. The indwelling of the Spirit is now the down payment of that life, which we will one day experience in its fullness. The new birth is the beginning, partial but real. 
of the life in that age to come. This means that we already have within us, when we believe, when we are followers of Christ, we already have within us the life of heaven. It means that we already participate in the life that belongs to God's future kingdom. Has this realization ever gripped you guys before? That the very life of heaven itself dwells within you here and now. That the very power of God that has the power to redeem all things has redeemed you and can redeem things around you and can bring hope and can bring healing and restoration to the things around you. So many Christians live most of their lives in terms of the promise, looking forward to what's to come. But we aren't to live for the future alone. The future has already begun. The age to come has reached into this age. Jesus came as a man. God himself came down and lived life as a man. He faced the temptations that we faced. He died that death on the cross and was raised again. So the future has already begun. The age to come has reached into this age. The kingdom of God has come to you. The eternal life which belongs to tomorrow is here today. The fellowship which we now know when we see God face to face is already ours. It's in part, but it's also a reality to us. The transforming life of the Spirit of God, which will one day transform our very bodies, has come to indwell us and to transform our characters and our personalities. Because of the price that Jesus paid, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He taught his disciples, the Holy Spirit is coming, and it will be better for you. And we're able to live in relationship with God because of that. This is what eternal life means. This is what it means to be saved. It means to go about every day in the here and now where evil clearly still exists in this world. But living the life of heaven, which overcomes evil, is a possible reality. Jesus' death and resurrection happened so that the character and the power of his kingdom could dwell in us here and now. As we hold on to the hope of fully knowing the power and the character of his kingdom. I'm going to call Jackie and the worship team back up. So I want to bring this back to Nicodemus. Jesus' death changed everything for him. Jesus saw that moment coming. He knew it from the start. And he loved so deeply that he did it anyways. Nicodemus, he was fully convinced when he saw Jesus hanging on the cross. Jesus wasn't a lunatic. He wasn't a heretic. He wasn't even a prophet or a teacher. Jesus was the Savior. In horror, Nicodemus probably wondered, what have we done? Everything he spent his whole life for, Nicodemus, all the ambition for position, prestige, and wealth, look at what it accomplished. And then he remembered something that he had heard that night on the rooftop with a man he called Rabbi. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Maybe he could begin again. Maybe that's exactly what Jesus had been promising. He no longer 
cared who knew. He no longer cared who saw. He boldly gathered Jesus' body and uses a mixture of spice called myrrh to bind within the linen cloths. They bound around Jesus. At the hands of Nicodemus, Jesus receives a king's burial. And three days later, he rises as the eternal king. So where do you stand today in the grand scheme of eternity? Have you been born again of water and spirit? Have you been cleansed and empowered to live free from your sinfulness? Have you encountered the living God and the kingdom that changes hearts and minds and realigns your life's purposes and ambitions to what God created you to do? Have you responded in faith to Jesus and received a new life? In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I ask you today, what do you need deliverance from? Maybe it's anger. You try so hard to maintain an inner peace, but you've been rejected. You've been hurt too much, too many times. Maybe it's lust or greed, selfishness or pride. Whatever it is, nothing is too great for God's love, mercy, and grace to free you from. He wants to dwell in you and be in relationship with you more than you know. So, as we respond in this next song, we're going to have a couple of people available to pray with you in the back. If Sean and Annie would go back there, I'll be back there as well. But maybe as I was speaking this morning, speaking about new life, rebirth, whatever it was that was spoken that maybe God was doing something in you, rebirthing something in you. Maybe you're not familiar with it. Maybe you've never sensed it before. It's the Spirit of God birthing in you. Something new, saying God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. So I'm going to ask you guys this morning if if that's you and you need feel like you need to step out in faith, maybe you need to do something that you haven't done before or do something that you haven't done in a while. Maybe it's kneeling while we sing this song, lifting your hands and surrender. Maybe it's going to pray with someone in the back. Whatever you feel like led to do, listen to that voice. That's the voice of God. And just see what he does in you. See what he does with your life. So we're going to, Jackie's going to lead us in one more song as we do that.